0: Stand Up With The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpWithTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion, addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at standupwithatruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo.
1: Hello, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you so much for tuning in. And uh, well, we've got a packed show today with an in-studio guest. Scott Shera is back with us. We, there's an update and there's a memorial, a peaceful protest in Appleton this Friday. We're going to talk about plus some uh, updates on the medical uh, front from his situation with his daughter, Grace, and what happened there uh, last October. Part two of the podcast, um, I'm going to pray that you will not be overly disturbed or overwhelmed by some of what we're going to share, but we have not had the chance to talk in depth about this guy named Yuval Harari. He's an advisor to Klaus Schwab of the World Economic Forum, and he's sold millions of books, and he's anti-Christian, anti-God, anti-free will, uh, communist, and it's a name that you are going to hear more about, I believe, in the coming uh, weeks and months. So we're going to talk about him in part two of today's podcast. Um, also, it's interesting, I rarely remember my dreams, but last night um, I believe I was warned uh, by the Lord about spiritual warfare and to be prayed up. And I want to just transfer that kind of, um, what do you call that? When I want to encourage you guys to be prayed up in your own lives, that the warfare will continue, it will increase. So I want to start off by reading Ephesians 6 And having done everything to stand firm, stand firm, therefore, having belted your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having strapped your feet to your feet, the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take the shield of faith with which you'll be able to distinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Father, give us your perspective today. Touch our hearts right now and prepare them. And for those listening, please strengthen their faith. Encourage their hearts. May they surrender their cares and burdens and anxieties to you. I do that right now, Lord. I cast my cares. Thank you for being the unshakable God. Um, We are definitely living in shakable times and times of upheaval. Up, upheaval and unrest. But Lord, thank you that you are stable. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You change not, and uh, you know the end from the beginning. You are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and we trust in you in all things. We thank you for your word, the hope that we have, and the truth. In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, One more thing. uh, Election tomorrow, at least in our neck of the woods here in Wisconsin. I don't know if your state has elections, but we've got a listing. It's extensive. I cannot go through all these names on the air because it would take too long, but I've got listings of Christian or conservative candidates in Wisconsin uh, from city councils to uh, school boards to uh, county positions, Winnebago, Brown County, Outagamie, uh, Manitowoc, Green Bay, De Pere, Appleton. So if you need names of people that you're not familiar with, if you're going to vote tomorrow, and I encourage you, we've got to get back the local uh, emphasis, friends. We've got to get back to the local influence. And, uh, you know, we got, we've got to do our job as salt and light, as believers in Christ. So, all right, thanks for that. Again, election tomorrow. Email us if you need a list. Comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. So in part one today, Scott Scherer is back with us. He's got a fan base now in our Stand Up For The Truth audience. Um, but sadly, you know, he came on the podcast first because his daughter died. And he went through a heart-wrenching situation with the hospital. It was excruciating. And um, he's done a lot of research and tons of radio and television interviews since then. And uh, he's got a website now that we want to remind you of, ouramazinggrace.net, ouramazinggrace.net. So Scott's back with an update on his case with uh, him and Cindy his and their daughter, Grace, who had Down syndrome and passed away last October. Scott, Shara, welcome back, brother.
2: Well, thanks for having me.
1: All right. Well, busy, busy. Uh, you've been doing so much research and a lot of footwork, and it just doesn't stop. And First of all, how are you doing uh, mentally emotionally physically brother
2: oh boy that's a great question it, it depends on the day mm. uh, it seems um, that God is using this opportunity to help me heal but you know it's uh, time is going to tell it's, mm. uh, it's uh, certainly an awful lot going on and we're focused mainly on getting the message out which yeah. you know that's that seems healing to me but it's mm. there's still a lot going on
1: well brother know for a fact that you are helping a lot of families, even those who have lost loved ones during COVID because of some protocols or they couldn't see their loved ones, maybe in, in a nursing home before they died. And, they, and for so many different reasons, you are helping and you are informing a lot of people as to the unfortunate corruption that we have heard of and we didn't want to believe was in government, and is in the hospital administrations and things like that. So let's talk about, uh, first of all, the uh, the memorial service protest. What are you calling it this Friday?
2: We're calling it Grace Emily's Memorial Rally.
1: Memorial Rally. I like that. So Memorial Rally in Appleton, 9 a.m. at Now, it is a, in a parking lot across the street from St. Elizabeth's Ho- Hospital?
2: No, it's actually the, the city of Appleton has been very gracious to us. So we applied and, you know, to our shock, I just thought it would be tough to work with the city. But They uh, they extended a lot of Grace to us, and they're Mm. shutting down Monroe Street for us. Wow. uh, Which is right off of Fremont Street. Okay. The leg of the hospital that Grace died in is on Fremont Street. So the protest will literally be looking at that wing of the hospital where Grace died.
1: Wow. So again, Appleton, Northeast Wisconsin. Friends, it is this Friday, 9 a.m. until noon. It's right near, uh, the address is 1506 South Oneida Street, Appleton, 1506 South Onada Street, Appleton. Can you just, I have them on your website here. Can you explain some of the people that are going to be there and or speaking?
2: Sure. So one of the one of our favorite guests is here in the studio with us, Crash. <laughs> so Crash is going to be there. We're looking forward to that. Um, we had a cancellation yesterday, which bears mentioning Dr. Artis' wife emailed yesterday. And yeah, they said they had a personal thing. And my daughter, Jessica, had... Drilled it down a little bit. There's some attacking going on from Big Pharma because they're not happy with men like him. Oh boy! And so now, who is Dr. Brian Artis? He is a a um, retired chiropractor who has spoken out. He his father-in-law died in a similar situation to Grace, and Mm -hmm. he has gone out and spoke nationally, and uh, he's got quite a quite a following. And I was on his program a couple months ago, and that's when I met him. But then yeah just the the following he has in, in his outspokenness is causing big pharma to take notice
1: okay so on your website ouramazinggrace.net right on the home page you've got a list of speakers and live and remote so when you, I see the word remote, that means uh, someone's going to have to be there to run the tech and connect these people, right, speaking on a big screen or something?
2: They will be on the big screen, but we decided to not go the tech route just because of potential problems, so they're uh, sending in tapes. Okay, so good. Yeah, so all those tapes will be put together, the ones that are doing remote. That's more manageable. Well, it's it's way more manageable. <laughs> I, I didn't realize how much of a, a hassle it would be to try to remote everybody in until we, we got a videographer involved and it, and he kind of squashed the idea of, doing it live remote. All
1: right. So just a couple more people so we can get back to the updates that you have for us and what you've learned since you were last on with us here on Stand Up For The Truth. Who else is speaking?
2: So a couple that you wouldn't necessarily know but are very important. So you see Greta is on the list. She almost died in a COVID hospital. She's flying in from Texas. She started a website called protocolkills.com. Greta Crawford,
1: protocolkills.com.
2: That sounds amazing. And then you see Stacy, and you can try to pronounce her last name. Or gray and zach Her husband was killed in a Michigan hospital. Wow. uh, Was put on a ventilator without their permission, and he was only 41 years old. And she's driving from Michigan, and she'll be speaking. Praise God. Uh, And another one that's really a neat, Neat one that's on here is um, oh I actually don't see her name but she's she's from the uh, former feds prosecutors so a number of, of people who have left the federal government and because of the corruption have formed a group in Texas and she's flying in and speaking.
1: Wow, that's great! I boy I wish I could be there. Um, we are going to be on the air Friday morning, but you know it's, it'd be cool if we could get a little uh, someone do, do a Facebook live or something. And Tom Renz is going to be there, right? He's,
2: he's doing a video. Okay, yeah, okay. So he's, so he's got he's some family to... issues that day, so he okay. couldn't make it personally. He fell in love with grace. So, I mean, he wanted to be there. And...
1: So again, friends, 9 a.m. this Friday, April 8, outside of a St. Elizabeth's Hospital in Appleton, uh, right near 1506 South Onida Street. Again, you can go to our ouramazinggrace.net and get all the information on this, and you can get kind of a rundown um, of what happened right on the home page of their website and there's an encouragement there it says please bring a sign what are a couple suggestions of what you would want to say for provocative but respectful signs but yet truth filled signs that people maybe can put together and
2: bring the signs would really fall in line with what our goal is and so we've started this originally with two goals number one is education so that people know what happened and the reason we want people to know what happened is so that their loved ones don't have to go through the same thing that we went through. And it's not in all hospitals, but the hospitals that have bought into the the federal bonus protocols. Most of them, right? Yeah, it seems to me that most of them are. Mm-hmm. And if people are educated that this is likely going to happen because they're not there to to help you get well. So that's that's the education piece. The way more important piece is the the repentance piece. Mm. So what our hope is, is that, of course, the two people that were directly involved with Grace's death, that they would repent. But there's a lot bigger picture because the medical profession cannot use the excuse that the management of the hospital is telling them to follow this protocol or the government's telling them to follow this protocol. They know. And they can't, in the end, they're not going to be able to use that as their, as their opportunity as to why they they did what they're doing. So we'd really like to have the medical profession as a whole, the ones that are implementing this protocol, to repent.
1: Wow. That's a big ask. I I know you realize that. God's bigger than that. I agree. Amen to that. Amen to that. Um, so I pray that this gets some visibility. I don't know how the local media <laughs> will handle it, because, you know, they take, often take their marching orders from the mothership, ABC, CBS, NBC, which are tainted by liberalism and progressive politics and the um, liberal-associated press. But there are some good people locally that are reporters, and, and so hopefully they will do their jobs and report on this story. So let's just jump into it. Um, Scott, we've got probably, since you've been here, a lot of new listeners and they don't know the full story. And I know we don't have time, we only have one half of the podcast today. So could you please go through, uh, thank you for providing some bullet points on the short story, just on what, who was Grace, what happened, and just how quickly it happened. So
2: Grace was 19, she was had Down syndrome. She was very high functioning. My wife taught her how to read and write, just to give you a perspective. Hmm. Uh, I taught her how to drive a car. Uh, as things progressed, so October 7th, we checked her into the hospital, with low oxygen. The issue there is if I would have known then what I know today, we would have never checked her in. What we would have done instead was got her home with a prescription for oxygen and steroid. But regardless, that's why she went in. It only took seven days to take her out. Mm -hmm. She was uh, statistically uh, improving until they put her on a long-term sedation med called Presidex. And as the records have been reviewed, the medical malpractice nurse who reviewed them called it chemical restraining. And so they chemically restrained Grace.
1: Now, was there reasoning, was she showing signs of agitation or was she not? Uh, why would they give her this drug with for that reason?
2: Absolutely no signs of agitation. Grace was a very calm kid and there's no excuse for it. The... The package insert, which is the rules they're supposed to follow for Presidex, say to use not more than 24 hours. And anesthesia nurses who are in the know say to not use it for more than three hours. It's an anesthesia drug. Mm. They had her on it for four days before her last day.
1: My goodness.
2: And so that's a a fairly big situation with this, but there's even bigger ones. Okay, keep Um, A minor point was that on October 10th, I was taken out by an armed guard. I call it minor because it's in the scope of everything that happened, it's it's a minor point. And
1: their, their justification for that was?
2: Well, the official or unofficial justification. Yeah. Well, the, un, the unofficial <laughs> justification, which is what the head nurse told me, is she said the last three shifts of nurses don't want you in the room. And because I was challenging the protocols, oh,
3: boy. the official
2: response that we received in their letter is that they suspected I had COVID. And, I mean, that's so laughable because they're the ones who told me I would get COVID while I was in the hospital, and, in fact, I did. And all they had to do was ask me or test me. Right. But I had COVID for three days before they kicked me out. Wow. So we ended up 44 hours without an advocate, and they used that opportunity to increase the Presidex dose seven times while we, were, while we didn't have an advocate. My daughter Jessica became the replacement advocate on October 12th, My wife couldn't do it because she had COVID. And then she stayed that entire day through the night on October 12th. And and Grace had a great day in spite of being uh, sedated. Hmm. And the evening before Grace died, she sat up in bed. Jessica called her two boys on FaceTime and waved to them and hollered through the BiPAP mask, hi, boys. Wow. It was just our typical Grace. The doctor called us the next morning on the 13th, saying how great of a day Grace had the day before. Jessica reported her oxygen at 98, 99% all night. And that next day, uh, starting at 8 o'clock in the morning, well, they actually started at midnight, but at 8 o'clock in the morning, they really started ratcheting up the PRESIDEX. The doctor called us at 8. He wanted a decision on a pre authorization for a ventilator. Grace was never in need for a ventilator, but he wanted a pre authorization. This is the fifth time they asked us. We denied it. They used that excuse in their official report to us, which we'll get into in a minute, to say that we decided to put Grace and label her DNR, do not resuscitate. Of course we didn't do that, Mm -hmm. she was doing great. Then what happened was, and we're just doing the short story, in a 29 minute window, starting at 546 that evening, they had Grace on a max dose of Presidex, then they gave her two doses of lorazepam and a dose of morphine. That nobody listening could have survived. We have an intensivist that wrote to me. An intensivist is a doctor who is a specialist in drug combinations. Yes. And he wrote and said, There's no question the drugs, that combination of drugs killed your daughter.
1: So anyone with a remote knowledge and understanding of this would look at this as a lethal combination that they gave to your daughter Grace, correct?
2: That's, that's correct. And it, it gets substantially worse because. What happened next is Jessica called us at seven twenty that evening, panicking because Grace's numbers were dropping. And so then I said, Get the nurses in. Cindy and I were on a FaceTime call with Jess at this point, and she said the nurses won't come in. We hollered for them to save our daughter, and they hollered back. She's DNR. We find out the doctor put a DNR order on her, which you and I are gonna drill down once I'm done with this short story. Okay. I mean and so we holler she's not DNR save our daughter they would not step in the room jessica afterward laid with after grace died we watched her die at 7:27 hmm. she laid with grace in the bed for 20 minutes hmm. she told us there was an armed guard posted outside the room i presumed to prevent nurses from coming in to save grace and that armed guard just so you know he wasn't walking by nonchalantly he stood outside and watched grace uh, watched Jessica lay with Grace for twenty minutes after she died.
1: Wow. So let's talk about the DNR. We've just got a couple minutes left in this first segment, Scott. Um you said there are seven DNR statutes that were violated. Now this is an update from the last time we had you on. And by the way, friends, if you're just new and you don't know the whole story, please uh later on today go to standupfortheuth.com and today's podcast notes and listen to the f- previous podcast with Scott. Go ahead and talk briefly about the DNR, and you've just got two minutes here.
2: All right. So since, since the time when, uh, when I was here last, Tom Renz helped us find a medical malpractice nurse, and she drilled down the records to the point that we can see exactly what happened in the timestamps. So the doctor put the DNR order on Grace at 10.56 in the morning. That was eight minutes after they maxed out the Presidex dose. So at 10.48 in the morning, she was on max dose Presidex by the hospital doing it by the doctor ordering it and a a 14-year icu nurse delivered that that dosage then at 10:56, 56 so eight minutes later the doctor put the actually it's a little bit longer than eight minutes later but he put <laughs> that dnr order on grace and so in that process the process of putting a dnr order is is step by step to be valid a dnr order is supposed to be requested by the healthcare care agent, that's my wife. At, after that, the attending physician is supposed to provide a written information summary to the as far as the procedures. He never provided that to us. Hmm. Uh, next, that he's, the power of attorney for health care, which is my wife, is supposed to consent to the order. Then the final preemptive piece of the statute says that the health care agent is supposed to sign the order. None of that happened. Then after the order is signed, the attending physician is supposed to put it into the computer. So that he did put the order in the computer, but he's the one who came up with the order, not us. Wow. Then he's supposed to put a bracelet on grace. That never happened.
1: A DNR?
2: A DNR bracelet, bracelet. right. That never happened.
1: Wow, There's just so much that uh, seemed to either be done just out of negligence or almost. you want to almost say they... they knew they were what exactly what they were doing and that's even more horrific to think about but friends we're with Scott Shera again the uh, memorial rally is this Friday morning outside St. Elizabeth's Hospital Appleton Wisconsin Oneida Avenue our amazing grace.net is the website we'll uh, talk a little bit more about this when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth
0: Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo.
1: Scott Shara is with us today with some updates on what he has learned in these months of research and uh, really, unfortunately, finding out a lot of information that either could have been avoided or could have been exposed because of what happened to his daughter, Grace. So the website, again, please, friends, our amazing grace.net everything we talk about today and have talked about on the past podcasts with scott the documents are on the website all this information is on the website go ahead scott on the dnr or whatever you wanted to cover
2: so right before break you mentioned about is this intentional and i want to hit the last point of the dnr situation so remember cindy and i did not suggest whatsoever that the that Grace would be DNI. Why, why would we do that? The doctor called us that morning saying how great of a day Grace mm-hmm. had the next day. We, we approved what's called DNI. Do not intubate, because there's no reason for Grace to be on a ventilator. It didn't make any sense. So all of a sudden we find out she's DNR by the nurses saying she's DNR when Jessica called. That's when we found out.
1: Well, the confusion is and I read what the doctor's report said, that he said he had a discussion with you and your, the family and concluded that you wanted the DNR. How could he have misunderstood that? That's what That was his excuse.
2: Well, that's the, that's the official excuse. And just the final point on the violations of DNR, and then we'll, we'll drill that down a sure. little bit. So it, I'm going to just read right out of state statute. It says a guardian or healthcare care agent may revoke a DNR order by giving direction to resuscitate the patient, which we did. And yes. they, so even when the doctor put it on, our direction overrode the doctor's order right. and they should have came in and resuscitated Grace. Every single medical professional who's reviewed this said all they had to do was give her the reversal drug.
1: Right. So friends, even if, even if the doctor did or the family did agree to the DNR, which they did not, but even if they did, by their protesting the the handling of the DNR at the end there, by their saying save her, please save her, they that would have overruled The previous agreement on the DNR. So that's what we want to clarify. Go ahead, Scott.
2: So then you wonder, is this intentional? You know, it is not my job to judge that. I mean, obviously, God knows their hearts. But Mm. I mean, you just start connecting the dots. There's this combination of three meds that would kill any of us. They were delivered by a 14-year ICU nurse. So this isn't a rookie. Then the DNR order. And the DNR order gets very suspicious because of the timing. So remember, the doctor put the DNR order on at 1056. At 1048 is when Grace was at the max dose of Presidex. So right after the max dose of Presidex, the doctor wrote his report for Grace's last day. So they all have to write a report every time they go in and see her. Every single report that the doctors dictated were always dictated after their shift, other than her last day. Hmm. The doctor dictated the report at 1257 in the afternoon that day. Very strange because, as the medical malpractice nurse pointed out to us, given that the hospital's position that they think we're the ones who approved the DNR, if they were so intent on that, why didn't they get us in to sign it? They had plenty Mm. of time because that's required by statute. So
1: this was seven hours before Grace died that he Put this report
2: correct, and, and he put the order in at ten fifty six hmm. in the morning. Okay, it's it's it, it everything in, in here is suspicious. Yes, suspicious, and it gets you to think about intention. It's obviously. too much.
1: I there's mean, too many things. It would be different if it was just one or two things that maybe could have been you know mistakes, but there there's way too much in this case, and I'm sure some people that are listening, Scott, can relate.
2: Here's can, an, another strange sorry. thing: is that so? I thought I had all the records. So when we met with the medical malpractice nurse the first time, she said, Scott, there's at least a 1,000 pages missing. I said, what are you talking about? I requested everything. She said, well, that's how, the way they do it. So she wrote the request to get what she said is everything. Wow. So I sent that in, and she was spot on. There was 948 pages more.
1: So they purposely hold back some of the report? Right?
2: I can't say purposely, <laughs> but, I mean, it seems that way. And she said there's even more that they've still held back, but until you hire an attorney— we won't be able to get the rest of it. What a shame. Okay,
1: now go on. We were not we'll talk about a few things about the DNR. Just and this will help people for future situations going in. Just knowing uh, what their rights are and what what actually uh, this DNR is for it to be valid.
2: Yeah. So it the the DNR to be valid, the key thing is just your intuition would say it needs to be in writing and signed by the patient or patient power of attorney, mm-hmm. and that is in fact the case. So. There's no signed DNR any, anywhere, and I mean that's the first violation. But you know, trying to get them to acknowledge that is a whole another another animal. As we have found out now, new information is that this is not uncommon. So when this first happened, I thought, wow, this is an anomaly. And as I've learned more and been introduced to more people, I've asked about this. Have you seen this? And it's it's more common than what you think. So this is going on. We don't know. In the U.K., the government is dictating that the medical profession can put DNR orders on unilaterally. We don't think it's happening here in the U.S. at this point, but people, be cautious. Yeah. You know, read what you're signing before you go in. Yes. Uh, one of the men from church told me that when he checked into the hospital, they told him by signing the admission papers, we're going to be labeling you DNR. So pay attention, folks. Wow. This, is, this is a big deal. So, you know, why is this all happening? So, I mean, this is where the research has transitioned to. You know, so when we talked last, I had documented the money trail mm-hmm. you know, and there's substantial money flowing to hospitals on average, $100,000 per COVID patient in bonus money. But there's another level of money going on. And, and I've labeled this, all these slides, as David has pointed out, are on Grace's website, all under the tragedy tab. The 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 issue is you start speculating about what's really going on, mm. and there's a genocide factor potential with this situation. And and why would that, why would I steer it that way? Well, because if you start doing the money math, thirty nine percent of our federal annual budget goes to Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security. Wow! And remember the hundred thousand dollar average COVID bonus the hospitals know who's on Medicare and Medicaid instantly. The people who are on Medicare and Medicaid are also on Social Security. That costs the taxpayer $32,000 a year per person on those benefits. Wow. So it has a three-year payback to the government to pay a bonus. And, you know, so personally that's what I think is happening, that there is an overall agenda to take out what, our elites in the population called the useless eaters. So Grace was a useless eater in our population, and that's sickening. Yes, uh, But that's that's what I've uncovered with, with this research.
1: And this goes, I mean, biblically, the heart of man is evil, it's wicked, beyond cure, and God knows our hearts. And if you were evil, friends, if you didn't believe in God, if you just wanted, uh, you know, the survival of the fittest, you believe in these kinds of things, Of course, you're going to want to limit the population, and that's what these global elites want to do. We're going to talk about this guy, uh, Yuval Noah Harari, in in a little bit here in the next uh, segment, and you're going to be surprised by some of the things he says, but these are what these guys that the World Economic Forum and the globalists are pushing, and of course, Bill Gates, you know, he's been funding this. They, They are for population control. The question is, how do they go about doing that? You made a very valid point, Scott, that a lot of Americans are on these you know, benefits, Medicare, Medicaid. They're getting a lot of money from the government. If more of them were to die, it would save a lot of people. I mean, it would save them money. They could give, do, use the money for other things. I mean, there's just a whole corrupt agenda behind it if you start thinking that way. And that's the way you have to think to understand the, the logical pro- progression of their worldview. So, Scott, go ahead and keep sharing about the DNR, what people can learn from that.
2: Well the the main thing to learn from the DNR is in fact it's happening. So don't don't assume that the hospital has your best interest in mind. Uh, assume that they have their best interest in mind or the government's agenda's best interest in mind because of the the money trail et cetera. So I mean you in order to be prepared you've got to check out local hospitals and find out if they've been bought by the government. I how don't, do, I don't how mean do you find literally bought. I, I, it would be very easy. Call call and ask them, are they promoting the vaccine? That's a real simple way well, to Well, almost every out.
1: hospital is though.
2: Well, not all of them. Okay. Uh, and find out what their protocol is, is if, if you check in with COVID, what do they actually follow? If mm-hmm. they follow remdesivir and ventilators, you know, to run. Wow.
1: They I mean, still, are they still doing the remdesivir?
2: They're, interestingly, they're calling it another name, which I don't know, I can't tell you that. Of course, on right. top of mind right now, but there's always a different way to skin the cat when, uh-huh. when it's their goal.
1: So, Scott, we only have a few minutes left, but a lot of people would, after, having, after you were on the first time on this podcast last
2: December, I believe, people would say, why aren't you suing? Yeah, that's a great question. And the answer to that is God hasn't shown us that that's the right thing to do at this point. So there's a couple of scriptures that are top of mind. One is in Romans 12:17 to 19, concludes with "Vengeance is mine," says the Lord. Just about everybody's familiar with that. So, you know, if you have revenge in your heart, obviously you should stop. But there's another scripture that says this is in Isaiah 59:14 through 16, concludes with. Then the Lord saw it, and it displeased him, and there was no justice. So of course God cares about justice, Mm-mm. but is it our responsibility to to chase this justice or not? And We're going to find out. What's been happening is doors keep opening, and as these doors open, we're not, we're not pursuing it on our own, and we've decided already if for some reason justice is, is served, if there's any money involved, we're not taking anything. We only care about one thing, which is I'd like to get Grace's death certificate changed to the truth. Truth. And if justice is served here, my expectation would be it would end up changing hospital protocol. But the real justice isn't through a court system. The real justice is this, for those who are behind the agenda creating medical tyranny to repent and become children of God. That is justice, and that's what we'd like to see happen.
1: um, Scott, I I commend you for that. A lot of people have a hard time— um, not wanting to take their own vengeance, and uh, yours is the very uh, um, mature, loving, and difficult road that you've chosen, but you are raising a lot of awareness. Truth is it's being exposed. Hopefully God gets the glory out of all this, and your goal is that he would be able to reach some of these people and change their hearts that have been going along with these protocols or those that are knowingly, you know, uh, doing whatever the hospital administrators are telling them to do, even though their conscience might be, they might be struggling with that. So we're trying to reach as many as we can. Thank you. I'm going to let you save your voice. You've got several more interviews today, tomorrow. Busy week for you, Scott, Shara. Um, thank you for coming in, brother.
2: Well, thanks. Please join us at the rally. We'd really appreciate it.
1: Again, the rally. Grace, Emily's light shines on. The memorial is this Friday morning, Appleton, Wisconsin, 9 a.m. outside of St. Elizabeth's Hospital. Not on the property, though. 1506 South Onada Street in Appleton. You can go to our ouramazinggrace.net. When we come back, Yuval Noah Harari, one of the dangerous, most dangerous men in the world that many of you perhaps have never heard of. That's next on Stand Up For The Truth. Your monthly financial support of
0: StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth. With David Fiorazzo.
1: So, before we get to our our next topic, really quickly, the new name they're using—be watchful of this, friends. For remdesivir is ve- Vekluri, Vekluri, Veklury. Veklury. V e k l u r y. Thank you, Cindy. V e k l u r y. Look for that. Apparently, it's the same thing. Um, so, be cautious, friends. Just be in the know. Make sure you know your rights. You can have an advocate. Um, and we've we've got to look out for our loved ones. Okay, so let's talk about this here. Um, Yuval Noah Harari, I've got the cover of his book called Homo Deus, D-E-U-S, A Brief History of Tomorrow. Now, he's the best-selling author of a book called Sapiens. Why is this important? Well, it's, it's an international bestseller. Essential reading for those who think about the future. That's what the New York Times said, and they've got a an image of a thumbprint, a fingerprint with a chip in the thumbprint, a little a microchip in the fingerprint. This is what he's pushing, uh, everything from uh, tracking human beings to artificial intelligence. So we need to be aware of what these people are doing, these people, global elites. Um, So who is this guy? He's a professor, Department of History at the Hebrew University of Journalism. I'm sorry, of Jerusalem, Jerusalem, not journalism. Um, He's a historian. He's a philosopher. But he is also a principal advisor to the Klaus Schwab of the World Economic Forum. Yes, that Klaus Schwab of the Great Reset. So we've just got a handful of audio clips. I know if I just shared this on the air this morning and just talked about it, you would not believe some of these things. You would not believe that someone actually is, is behind this and is saying these things. And, 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 but he's been writing about this for years, friends. And I even can tell you in some of my notes and research, thanks to uh, another uh, part of the team here at Stand Up For The Truth, um, in 2015, his book, Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari was a top reading pick for President Barack Obama, Bill Gates, and Mark Zuckerberg. So understand who's following this guy, who's believing what he's saying. And again, friends, this is a guy that's one of the most dangerous people. You do not know his name. You know, Fauci, now we know his name. (laughs) Hopefully he's going away. But um, Yuval... Harari is the co-founder of Sapienship. It's a multidisciplinary organization advocating for global responsibility, and their quest is to find solutions and focus attention on the most important challenges facing the world today, what their challenges are, ecological collapse, technological disruption, and on. So let's go to some of these sound clips now, and I want to hear you. I want to have you hear him out of his own mouth and we're gonna come back and we're gonna talk about some of these
3: quotes. Go ahead. And COVID is critical because this is what convinces people to accept, to legitimize total biometric surveillance. If we want to stop this epidemic, we need not just to monitor people, we need to monitor what's happening under their skin. Okay, you just heard that. Now, first of all, uh, this is what convinces
1: people to accept total biometric surveillance. In other words, a crisis, like a health crisis like COVID. Right before that, he said this is the crucial revolution. He used that word revolution. And he said COVID is critical because this is what convinces people. In other words, fear of the pandemic convinces people to accept and legitimize Total biometric surveillance, meaning they can track you. You, We are okay now. It's because government surveillance is for our own good. And it said if, if we want to stop this epidemic, we would need to not just monitor people but know what's happening under their skin. In other words, you need to be tracked. You need to be controlled. And on the cover of his book, um, it's literally got a thumbprint with a little microchip in it, and it's fascinating, guys. This is a bestseller in New York Times. It you know, holds him up as a hero. Um, the subtitle, A Brief History for Tomorrow, but I'm not, not encouraging you to read the book unless well, that's up to you. But I just want to point out some of these quotes, we're going to talk about them. Um, they're worried now, they're concerned now that we need to track people and control people. The, one of the best ways to do that is to get them to fear their own mortality so that they will rely on the government and allow something to be injected into their bodies. Thumb, uh, a chip, wrist, hand, uh, vaccines. You know, they're going to start putting things in vaccines. Some say there are already things, substances, in the vac- vaccines, uh, trackable substances. That's for another podcast. But we might talk about that with John Haller tomorrow. But let's play the next clip, Crash.
3: What we have seen so far, it's corporations and governments collecting data about where we go, who we meet, what movies we watch. The next phase is the surveillance going under our skin.
1: So again, under our skin, it's not just uh, our activity, because, I mean, they might be able to track your cell phone, right? We go to the movies, we go to the grocery store, they, they know what we buy by our purchasing record. So, but notice what they said, what he said corporations and governments it's not just the government friends there are corporations that are interested in this knowing how to track people and their habits remember I just shared earlier in 2015 Mark Zuckerberg Facebook Mark Zuckerberg Barack Obama and Bill Gates three of I will just say the potentially the most evil and or powerful global elites and they don't have your best interests at heart. Uh, that's just out on the limb when I said that. But remember, it's not just the government; it's corporations and governments want to collect data about your activity, where we go, who we meet, who you oh who you associate with. They're going to start putting us into groups, right? Domestic terrorists. So, oh, you can't associate with them. They're going to know if we become these trackable animals, as he will explain a little later on. So the next phase, he just said it clear out, is surveillance under our skin. China, for example, having, what do they have, 300 million cameras? (laughs) We have more surveillance cameras now, Big Brother. So it's not just about having cameras out on buildings or out in public. They want to get under your skin. So let's play the next one.
3: And COVID is critical because this is what convinces people To accept, to legitimize total biometric surveillance. If we want to stop this epidemic, we need not just to monitor people, we need to monitor what's happening under their skin. What we have seen so far, it's corporations and governments collecting data about where we go, who we meet, what movies we watch. The next phase is the surveillance going under our skin we now see mass surveillance systems established even in democratic countries, which previously rejected them. And we also see a change in the nature of surveillance. Previously, surveillance was mainly above the skin. Now it's going under the skin. Governments want to know not just where we go or who we meet, above all, they want to know what is happening under our skin. What's our body temperature? What's our blood pressure? What, what is our medical condition?
1: They want to know what's happening. They want to know everything about us. Governments want to know this. We now see, he said, mass surveillance systems established. And notice how he said, he admitted, even in democratic countries, which previously rejected them, so they used the crisis of COVID. Why? Because they never allow a serious crisis to go to waste. They used the crisis of COVID to push some of this agenda and have people be in a place where we would accept it, legitimize it, is what they said. So what's our body temperature? What's our blood pressure? Why do they want to know our medical conditions? Friends, I believe, and you can draw your own conclusions, it's his own words, they want to know our vulnerabilities. They want to know our weaknesses, our vulnerabilities, and we're going to get to one in just a little bit. And that is um, an astounding take on free will, but they want to know our vulnerabilities. So medical conditions. We just talked with Scott Shera about some of this and why they want to know our medical conditions. And so they can, they can treat us quicker if they want to eliminate some human beings from the population. They know what to give them quicker before you even get to the hospital because you'll have that tracking device under your skin. And again, it's just a little teeny chip In your thumb or in your finger, it's not just this this big thing. So let's continue to play a couple more of these quotes and
3: we'll comment in a minute. Humans are now hackable animals. You know, the the whole idea that humans have, you know, this, they, they have this soul or spirit and they have free will and nobody knows what's happening inside me. So whatever I choose, whether in the election or whether in the supermarket, this is my free will, that's over.
1: Free will is over, friends. Did you hear that? Free will is over. Again, we're listening to quotes from one of the most dangerous men you may not know anything about, Yuval Harari, an advisor to the Great Reset's Klaus Schwab. Um, Humans are developing even bigger powers than before. Humans are now hackable animals. This is what some of the global elites who do not believe in God, do not believe in creation, do not believe... We have a soul or a spirit. Did you hear that? The whole idea that humans have this soul or spirit, that they have free will. They're, they're mocking God. You know what the Bible says about that? <laughs> about those who mock God. God shall not be mocked. A man will reap what he sows. But here's this man. He's a very influential man. He's sold millions of books, friends. Again, he said, humans are hackable animals, so now we can be treated that. We can be experimented upon if we're just hackable animals. No soul, no spirit, which is a lie from the pit of hell, and we don't have free will. He said, that's over, the belief in that. That's over, he said. That was the last thing he said in that clip. Now, another clip we skipped over. I want to go back to something. He said, um, we are really acquiring divine powers of creation and destruction. We, human beings, now are gods. He said we are really acquiring divine powers. Then he said we are really upgrading humans into gods. We are acquiring, for instance, the power to re-engineer life. These men and some women want to be God. Some of them think they already are. Let's play the next one.
3: All this story about Jesus rising from the dead and being the son of God, this is fake news. So if, if this we don't have a
1: soul or we don't have a spirit and we don't have free will, we are hackable animals, of course the story about Jesus, the son of God, and him rising from the dead, to their conclusion, of course that's fake news, but this is a lie, friends. In other words, they're saying, the, 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 for, go back to Genesis and the devil, you know, the serpent of the Garden of Eden. Is that really true? In the garden of eden so it's all fake news right god did not create the heavens and the earth he did not create mankind and he is not the god and the reigning lord over the universe and the returning king jesus because he raised he was raised from the dead he just said it's fake news again who is he influencing i well i can just name three of them from this article in 2015 that says a top reading pick for the summer Uh, For Barack Obama, Bill Gates, and Mark Zuckerberg, that was February 10, 2015. So let's go on to the next clip.
3: I know that in recent years, we saw populist politicians undermining deliberately the trust that people have in important institutions like universities, like respectable media outlets. These populist politicians told people that say scientists are this small elite Okay, so scientists, right? Let's talk
1: about this. A populist politician. Who do you think he had in mind when he was talking about nationalism or populist politicians? Of course, President Trump. And what did he say Trump did? He undermined the trust that people have in important institutions like universities and respectable media. Okay, stop right there. Let's define respectable media. Did you know that even B.C., Before COVID, there was only a 26% approval rating for the mainstream liberal progressive Marxist media in America. 26% of Americans said they trusted the media. Now, since COVID and the medical tyranny, now I bet that's even much less. But these global elites are saying trust the media. They are respectable. That's what he just said. So he's saying Trump undermined universities and respectable you know what happened in universities in the 1930s they started to be infiltrated by uh fabian socialists and communists marxists infiltrating the university systems in america almost 100 years ago columbia uh, you know uh um, uh, chicago university of chicago and go on to berkeley and on and on so now he this guy's saying no universities you can trust them what are universities known for turning Christian kids away from their parents within, six, within a semester or the first year in college. Now, of course, you know that's it's even sooner. So remember what he said about scientists. You should respect scientists. Why is that? He says um, the populist idea is that scientists are a small elite. Well, you and I would agree with that. Scientists are not the majority. And remember what we always say on this podcast, science doesn't speak. Scientists do. So they are scientists. They are a small elite. Now, a quote that we didn't get to because we've just got like three minutes left. He said, climate change is just a hoax. This is what Trump is saying. This is what these people are saying. We shouldn't believe them, he said. Conspiracy theories, they're calling it. When we say climate change is a hoax or environmentalism, whatever else, global warming, it's not real. And then he says vaccinations are bad for you. Look what else this guy said. In the same sentence he said, and the fact that the earth is actually flat. So in other words, if you don't believe the propaganda about climate climate change and that vaccinations have killed people and are dangerous for some and are bad for a lot of people, not everybody but a lot of people, you are a conspiracy. You're a flat earther. Also, he said, especially in emergency, and this is key, People can change their views very fast. They can change their views very fast. What does that mean? In a crisis, when they're listening to the fear-mongering media, panic porn, uh, people will change their views quickly. Why? It's survival of the fittest. Every man for himself, we've got to survive. I don't if they fear death. What does the Bible say? we all their lives, they were in fear of death. We do not, Fear, death, because we have not been given a spirit of fear in Christ. We've been given a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. So you can see how this is all driving against the uh, biblical worldview. He also said in the crisis, for example, listen to this, guys. Who do people trust? They trust scientists above everything else. They trust the scientists. Yeah, we trusted Fauci, didn't we? We trusted the, the global socialists. But interesting that he said they closed down churches all around the world and were telling people, the churches themselves, he said, were telling people, don't come to church. He said even the Pope was doing his ceremonies on Zoom. So remember what we talked about? This is actually a chapter in one of my books, um, the Canceling Christianity. Did the church pass the COVID test? Remember the government and the power elites and the globalists and the World Economic Forum? They called the church non essential the church of Jesus Christ in the world and the United States non-essential didn't matter but they keep over the open the hardware stores grocery stores gas stations abortion centers and businesses keep them open in the bars right but churches you got to close down you're non-essential but the point he's making is this many religious leaders listened to the global power elites and the so-called scientists and they obeyed them why because the scientists recommended this or that, masks and, and, and distancing and, and the shots and, and to stay home and avoid people. Fear, fear, fear. And the point he said without even realizing he's saying it in, in our understanding is e- even the religious leaders have trust in the scientists. Is that true, friends? Do we trust scientists? Do we trust man or God? And he said people are these people the religious people are easiest to manipulate. Now we only got to a handful of this. John Haller and I will pick this up tomorrow and talk more about one of these the most dangerous men in the world many have never heard of Yuval Noah Harari and uh, who he's influencing. Again, he sold millions of books, but we got to go. Thank you guys. Again, the rally protest this Friday in Appleton St. Elizabeth Church outside there for Scott Shera. And uh, you will not check that out at OurAmazingGrace.net. Tomorrow, John Haller. Wednesday, J. Warner Wallace. Thursday, Dr. Mark Christian. Friday, Dr. Nathaniel Jensen. God bless you. And as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.